Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible's, Bible lesson. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, and especially to the single mothers who have a double burden raising their kids. I salute my single mother who has been in heaven for the last 25 years, and it seems like only yesterday when she left. Make sure to honor your mom today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 say this. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first mandate with a promise attached, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. When you honor your mother, the Lord promises you long life. First thing, first promise with a... uh, with a first mandate with a promise attached. Denny is doing it again. My screen isn't advancing. So we're having some, we've been having technical difficulties today. And so we're going to figure out a way to fix it. We may have to just reboot. But in the meantime, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, a song for Mama is uh, one of my favorite songs. We'll be playing it in the transition between the first segment and uh, and the uh, offering. And so this morning I was playing it while I was in the shower. When I came out of the shower, I was just bawling because I miss my mom. And I know normally for you, this is the first Mother's Day you've been without your mom. And uh, it's just a brutal experience to miss your mom. So, happy Mother's Day to all those mothers out here, out there. Talked to June Murphy this morning, wished her a happy Mother's Day. I said, happy Mother's Day, mother. (laughs) I used to call my dad on Mother's Day and say, happy Mother's Day, mother. And he he had quite a sense of humor, so he always liked that. So yeah, so we're just restarting the computer now so we get the demon out of it that was in it, and then we'll get back to the lesson. So just thanks for hanging in there. Probably had 60 new people come to Barah Ministries this morning, and they all left because, you know, we just went offline. It's crazy. That happens. 
And this all happened because Deacon Denny was trying to do something nice and clean my screen for me. And then all of a sudden, the voodoo monsters took over the computer. Yeah, that touchscreen technology. And now what it's probably going to do is it comes back in and saying, do you want us to update for the next 16 hours the, all the software that hasn't been updated because you haven't restarted the computer in a long time? But hopefully not. Yeah. Hey, do you think it would be good if I tell a dirty joke? While we're waiting. <laughs> yeah, sure, Pastor, ruin your career. Go ahead and tell the dirty joke. Well, I'll tell it afterwards when I'm not on the air. It's really fun. All right, we're coming back up. That's why I think we ought to have Max up here. Max are up. They are expensive, but these dang PCs take forever to come back up. Did you double click on it? Ladies and gentlemen, Barah Ministries will be back online in just a moment. All righty. Sir. All right, we're picking it up from where we left off. Sorry for that five-minute delay. So we had just finished Ephesians 6.3. The promise from God for honoring your mother is long life. So make sure your mom knows how much you appreciate her today and every day. Few people in this world will ever love you more than someone who carried you in their womb for nine months, and who changed 5,000 of your crap diapers while you were completely helpless. How would you be treating your mom if you loved her unconditionally? Well, why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? The Father provides a place for you to get to know the most powerful being in the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one 
who has a glorious future. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says this, When the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, as one of his many titles, the Son of Man, comes again in all his glory, and he's going to come back for us believers in Christ, and all the elect angels come with him, he will sit on his glorious throne on earth during the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. And he'll be bringing us church-age believers with him. So the uh, earth and the universe, after this particular age ends, which is called the church age, has at least 1,007 years left. So we are nowhere near the end times. And all those people who are so fascinated with the end times can just calm way down. Because before we get to the end times, there's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. 1,000-year millennial reign on earth. God the Father created Barah Ministries so you could have a place to learn the truth of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that it's because the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is piercing, dividing the soul and the spirit, dividing the joints and the marrow, and the Word of God is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God helps you to get to the heart of things in your life. God the Father created Barah Ministries so you'd have a place to learn about the strategy of God's enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. Satan incites impatience in us. He wants us to live a do-it-yourself lifestyle instead of waiting for God to lay out a path for us. Satan inspires the thought, if it's to be, it's up to me. Impatience is a sign of immaturity. It's the unwillingness to wait for God. It's a sign of unbelief. It's an unwillingness to trust God. And it's a sign that the flesh is rearing its ugly, bossy head in your life. Impatience is an unwillingness to listen to the direction of the still, small voice of God the Holy Spirit. Well, the Lord's half-brother James recommends patience. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, that's believers in Christ, when you encounter trials of various kind, knowing that the testing of your faith during trials produces endurance, which is patience in the face of difficulties. And let endurance, patience, in the face of difficulties have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let Satan be impatient. You relax and watch God work for you. Today's Bible lesson, who are your real friends? Today's Bible lesson, who are your real friends? Well, great people surround themselves with great people. Be careful how you pick your friends. Friends aren't just those people that you check off on Facebook or on Instagram. Friends are are real friends in times of need, and we'll be talking more about what a real friend is like. In today's lesson, we'll see the people that the Apostle Paul surrounded himself with to help him with his work for the Colossian church. And as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper to gain insight into how to handle betrayal. Well, let's hear some music. Real friends are faithful, dependable, and reliable, and they won't 
betray us. What kind of friend are you? Well, here are a few artists you may recognize telling us the value of friends in the song, That's What Friends Are For.
artists remind me to tell you one time the day I met Gladys Knight when I was 11 years old let us pray we're grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the Word of God Father thank you for reminding us that we need others in our lives to be successful thank you for reminding us the one we need most is your son our Lord Jesus Christ Thank you for telling us in the word of God we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for the reminder that apart from him we can do nothing. Thank you for providing us with yourself and with God the Holy Spirit to round out our arsenal of support. As we learn today, help us to see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears the value of having people on our side. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, who are your real friends? Who are your real friends? Well, we've gotten off to a rocky start technologically. I just want to apologize for that. Uh, These are things that happen occasionally, and they especially happen when there's going to be a great lesson. So you have a lot to look forward to. We're closing out our study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. And as you know by now, the letter is a warning to a small home-based church in first century Colossae to be on the lookout for false teachers and false teaching. The church of the Colossians met in the house of Philemon, 
And that's a name you'll be introduced to in our next letter of study, the one-chapter book of Philemon. Satan's infiltration force into this church will eventually take on the name of the Gnostics, a group that claimed to have specialized knowledge that would make the gospel so much better. The name comes from the Greek word gnosko, which is to know. And there's another word, epigonosko, which is to know and believe. But this specific one is just knowledge. So they contend if the Colossians would just add a few things to the gospel, they would be more spiritual. And what they sought is to drag the Colossians into legalism. What they really wanted to do is to drag them back into Judaism getting them to doubt the security of their relationship with the Lord and getting them to doubt their salvation. A joy of Christianity is the relationship with other Christians who can be counted on, people in our lives who make the song That's What Friends Are For real. The passage we're about to study for many pastors is a throwaway passage. They treat it as if Paul is just signing off on his letter. But Paul is really doing is giving us insight into the support that he has around him, teaching us what friends are for. So let's meet some of Paul's friends in the final passage of the letter. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. It says this, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. Colossians 4, 8. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, bringing you information, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And the circumstance was that Paul was in prison in Rome. Colossians 4.9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, an interesting description for this man, as you will see when you get to know a little bit about him, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you, that's Tychicus and Onesimus, will inform you about the whole situation here. Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, sends his greetings. And this Mark, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. We'll find out some interesting things about Mark. Colossians 4.11. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. Don't blame him for being called something other than Jesus. There are only, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And that's all, all three of the last people we mentioned are Jewish. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Again, this is Paul describing his friends. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who was one of your number, he was the pastor of the Colossian church, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Colossians 4.13, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas sends his greetings. Colossians 4.15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea 
And also greet Nympha and the church that is in her house. Colossians 4.16 And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Colossians 4.17 Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Colossians 4.18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment, and grace be with you. A man is known by the company he keeps. Let me repeat that in case you didn't hear it, and it's not just a man. People are known by the company they keep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The thing that I think that we do so often when it comes to friends is we think with wishful thinking. And we have people in our lives who we wish would be different, but they're not. And so my philosophy learned after many beatings of wishful thinking is I'm going to give you my trust as a gift and I'm going to watch and see what you do with it. And when you reveal yourself, I'm going to believe you because you are either on my side or you are not. But when you prove yourself after much evidence to not be on my side, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I can love you unconditionally. I can forgive you for everything you've done and I can treat you with grace and want absolutely nothing to do with you. Because there are people in our lives who do not like us, who do not value us, and who want to hurt us. And they continuously rear their ugly heads, and they continuously show us that that is the case. And some of those people are parents, some of those people are siblings, some of those people are friends, some of those people are our kids, And we have this sentimental attachment to them. You know, family members, for example. We think that just because family members have the same blood running through their veins that they like us. And that has not been my experience at all. And believe me, I have a humongous family of cousins and aunts and uncles. And, you know, I have relationships with three of them. And my mom was one of 18 kids. So I have a lot of uncles and aunts and a lot of cousins. So, and I have relationships with three of them. There are probably a hundred of them. And so it just demonstrates my, I have uh, two sisters, two brothers and a sister. Don't have a relationship with them. Why? Because they revealed themselves. They were not on my side. They don't like me. They're jealous of me. Oh, you were mom's favorite. I absolutely was not my mom's favorite. My older brother was her favorite, and she told me that many, many times. And I said, well, why? You know, I'm doing everything for you. Why would he be your favorite? And she said, because he was my first. Understood. You know, when you get to be a parent, you understand that, that there's this special attachment that you have to your first, whether that's merited or not. Amen? (laughs) I love you so much, Zachary. (laughs) So... Anyway, the Apostle Paul is the most dangerous enemy of Satan's strategy against the human race. And as a result, the whole world is against Paul. Satan cares about Paul. 
Satan does not at all care about Pastor Rory Clark. Satan does not care at all. I mean, he's got, he's probably got his dumbest demon assigned to me. And the, the dumb demon just presses the same buttons all the time. Here's what Pastor Rory is. Here's his weakness. Just keep pass, pressing that same button all the time. But Satan doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my friend, Pastor John Farley. But he cares about people like Paul who are writing two-thirds of the mystery doctrine of the church age. And so, as a result, the whole world was against Paul because this, this world is Satan's kingdom. And so Paul needed faithful friends. And uh, God has told us it's not good for man to be alone. Well, what is a faithful friend? How can you and your discernment determine what is a faithful friend? A faithful friend is trustworthy. In other words, you can trust them. A faithful friend is reliable. You can count on them. A faithful friend is dependable. You can depend on them. Well, who are your faithful friends? What's the list? And who are the people who love who you are and who you are not? And that's the one thing that has always baffled me about people, that people who are not on your side ignore everything that's good about you, only focus on the things that are your weakness as a human being, and then zoom into that and are shoving it down your throat and putting it in your face all the time and telling you that because you are a human being, you are a hypocrite. And because you're a human being, you're imperfect. You have an amazing grasp of the obvious. I see people in weddings get married, and then, you know, I always tell them, you better take a look at this person that you're sitting next to because they're human beings. They're going to betray you multiple times. So if you think you aren't marrying a human being, let's not do this. Because the minute that somebody betrays you, everybody wants to run. Everybody wants to abandon it, especially in lifelong relationships like marriage, fully expecting that that's never going to happen. On what planet is that not going to happen? And who you are as a human being, your complete character is revealed when you have situations where you've been betrayed. What do you do then? What exactly is your philosophy at that point? And so I love people who love me for who I am and who I am not. And if you can't like both of those things in me, then you're not my friend. And look, you don't have to be. You can be like everybody else. You can be a one-sided person who if somebody comes to you and says, oh, you should believe this about Pastor Rory. And, and by the way, when I say Pastor Rory, I'm not really talking about myself. I'm just putting myself in your place. So when I say Pastor Rory, you can mention your own name because I'm talking to you. And, you know, when, you know it's, it's so funny to me how people will come and tell some one-sided story about you and, and the people that they tell it to believe it without even checking the other side, without even be bothering to be objective about the situation. So who are the special people in your life who are astute enough not to point a finger at you without knowing that there are three fingers pointing back at them when they're pointing fingers at you? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, the Lord says this, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye, Matthew 7, 4. Or how can you say to your brother, 
Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, a person talking from behind a mask. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we're criticizing other people, we forget how depraved we are. Well, in this passage, Paul is either thanking or advising the ten people who are part of his support system. Paul surrounds himself with faithful people and with diakonos, the Greek word for ministers. That, that's where we get the English word deacon. And the members of the team, the, the diakonos are the members of the team who kick up dust the members of the team that make things happen. And we need a team of people around us who make things happen. Now, some of Paul's friends stay, some of Paul's friends pray, and some of Paul's friends stray. And it's the exact same for you. Paul prefers faithful friends, people who are surrendered to do God's will. With reliable friends, you give them an arrow, and they make it always hit the bullseye. You can count on them. You could turn your back on them, and they will get things done. So let's meet some of Paul's friends. They're all from the Lycus Valley, which is where the Colossian church was. They're all Christians, some Jewish, some Gentile. They all work together, and there's the same supernatural bond between them as there is between all Christians. At the moment of salvation... God places us in unity with each other. All Christians are in unity with each other. And even when other Christians betray us, it does not change the fact that we're in unity. It does not change the fact that we'll spend an eternity in heaven together. It just is uh, a sad testimony to what happens when people in your family turn on you. All right, so there is Tychicus. He is a messenger for Paul. And along with Onesimus, he will be delivering three letters. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, and, Paul, and a personal letter, Paul's letter to Philemon. There is no way Paul would trust these two men if he didn't consider them faithful. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 6 warns, He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message by the hands of a fool. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19 says this, Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in times of trouble. It is nearly impossible to trust unreliable people. And you know the only people who don't know that they're not trusted? Unreliable people. People who are constantly screwing people over have no idea that the people who are at the wrong end of their stuff don't trust them as far as they could spit. There's Onesimus, the subject of Paul's letter to Philemon. Onesimus is a runaway slave from Colossae who belonged to Philemon. He stole money, a lot of money, from the very wealthy Philemon and ran away 1,200 miles to Rome. And Rome was, is a big city and it's a place that he could get lost where no one could find him. No one but God. <laughs> and so Onesimus was a bad boy. He was out doing his thing, and he got arrested. And he ended up in a cell with Paul. 
total coincidence, right? No. God led him to Paul. He is evangelized by Paul. He becomes a believer in Christ, a new believer. And so after the evangelism and after he became a believer in Christ, Paul and Onesimus were sitting around and he said, Hey, Onesimus, where do you come from? And Onesimus tells Paul, Well, I'm from this little podunk town called Colossae. You've probably never heard of it, Paul. Coincidence? Hardly. Paul decides to use Onesimus to deliver the letter that he's writing to the Colossians. And he writes a letter to his dear friend Philemon asking him to forgive Onesimus because Onesimus is going to be walking into Philemon's house as a runaway slave who stole. And Paul is asking him to forgive. We'll really enjoy studying that letter. There's Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner and a fellow Jew, a member of the circumcision, as Paul put it, a Jewish man with a Greek name. He has a long history with Paul over 12 years. He got arrested with Paul in Ephesus. He went with Paul to Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've studied the Bible deeply, you know that every time somebody goes to Jerusalem, bad things happen. I was telling a a couple friends of mine last night that I've been to Jerusalem three times and every time I left Israel, I was strip searched. And I was telling them the circumstances of being strip searched for an hour and a half by the uh, police force at the airport in Israel. And so uh, it's, it's no small matter to go to Jerusalem. And then uh, our Aristarchus hung out with the person the Romans saw as a bad guy. And the reason the Romans saw Paul as a bad guy is because he was teaching about Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. There's John Mark, another Jewish believer. He was a part-time coward, a mama's boy, Barnabas's cousin, and the writer of one of the four Gospels. Interesting to be describing the writer of one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. Funny to be describing him as a coward and a mama's boy. Uh, but his mother, Mary, and it's not the Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, and it's not Mary Magdalene, it's another Mary, but his mother is Mary, who was a wealthy woman with a big home where the apostles used to meet in what is known as the upper room. So the upper room is where the Lord had the Last Supper, The upper room is the place that the Lord walked through the wall and saw his his apostles for the first time after his resurrection from the dead. That was in Mary's home. And John Mark used to sit around uh, at the door and listen to all the spiritual things that were going on in the upper room. And he became a believer in Christ. And he thought that his mission in life was to go out and uh, take advantage of his spiritual life by being a missionary. Well, Mark and his cousin Barnabas, who was uh, Mark's mother Mary's uh, nephew, went on Paul's first missionary journey with him. And Mark embarrassed himself on that journey, and he betrayed Paul. When the going got tough, which it always did on missionary journeys where you're talking about Jesus Christ, Mark went home to mommy. And if you'd like to read about that, you can read about it in Acts 12 and Acts 14. 
Well, in doing so, Mark ruined his reputation as a person who was unfaithful, as a person who couldn't be counted on. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. All the people who are betrayers in life, I wonder if they ever give any consideration whatsoever to the fact that being a betrayer creates a reputation. And it's a label that gets attached to you, which means under no circumstances, trust this person. This person is not trustworthy. And I've talked to a lot of people who have betrayed me. And I've talked to a lot of people who are unfaithful. And what they do is they always refer to the 1% of the time when they did something right. And they never refer to the 99% of the time when they were just stabbing people in the back for no reason. So when Paul went on his second missionary journey, Barnabas asked if Mark, his cousin, could come. And Paul said no. And Barnabas and Paul argued vehemently and then split. And Barnabas is never heard from again in the Bible. (laughs) He's a believer in Christ. We'll meet him in heaven, but we'll be chuckling at him a little bit during that period of time where we get to laugh at people in heaven. It's a lot of work to get your reputation back, but Mark did, and he didn't get his reputation back with words, but with actions. And as a result, God was able to use him to write a gospel letter. Mark spent time with Peter, another betrayer, and God demonstrates what he can do with those who betray him. There's Justice, whose real name is Jesus, another Jewish believer. He was what everyone needs as as a friend, just a solid person. There were no stories about him. There was no fanfare. He just did the work that he was asked to do. And that's fantastic when you have friends like that who just come through for you over and over and over and over again. Epaphras, was a Gentile believer. He was the founder and pastor of the churches at Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And the letter to the Colossians came about when Epaphras asked for help on how to handle the infiltration of false teachers and false teaching in the Colossian church. There's Luke, the beloved physician. It's always good to have a doctor in the house. Luke was an amazing man. In addition to being a doctor, he was also a pastor, an evangelist, a theologian, very systematic in his approach. His approach to uh, the, the Gospel of Luke was to detail in chronology what happened in the life of Jesus Christ. He, Luke is Paul's brother in union with Christ. He's a historian. He's a missionary. He's the author of 23 chapters in the Gospel of Luke and 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And he accompanies Paul in all of his journeys as Paul's medical insurance. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the apostle Paul reports, Only Luke is with me. When everyone had abandoned Paul, Luke is the one who stays. It's always good to have a human friend like that. See, a lot of times when we're betrayed over and over and over again, we just think that our only recourse is Christ. That's not true. And the Lord would never let that happen. The Lord always brings people into our lives who love us 
no matter what. And there are very few people in this earth, on this earth, who know how to love somebody no matter what. And most of the people on this earth are just selfish. And they pretend to love you as long as they're getting what they want. But whenever they don't get what they want, they start getting all mouthy and getting in your face about it. And that's absolutely ridiculous. It's childish. There are a lot of children and adult bodies. And, you know, as, as adults ourselves, when we look at adults, we just expect that they're going to be adults. But that is not always the case. There's Demas, a liability to Paul, not an asset. He's a party boy with a secret love for nightlife and the ladies. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says this, For Demas, having loved this present world, 2 Timothy is a pastoral epistle, and it's Paul talking to his pastor-protege, Timothy. For Demas, having loved this present world, in other words, party boy and a ladies' man, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, it's really rare for Paul to call people out by name like this. So when he calls people out by name, it's really bad. Everyone has betrayals in this life. People put knives in your back. And it's especially true that people put knives in the back of the pastors. But it's not exclusively true. People in our family put knives in our back. It's a great way to learn what Jesus suffered. And eventually, we learn to accept betrayals with gratitude and with compassion for the betrayer. We pray for our enemies. And people who betray us are our enemies. You may not want to say that word and relate it to somebody that's in your family or somebody who stabbed you in the back repeatedly, but they are your enemies. They are not on your side, and in fact, they are out to hurt you. Well, eventually we learn to accept these betrayals with gratitude and compassion for the betrayer. The wounds heal. And if we choose, the wounds make us feel stronger. They make us love deeper with more compassion and more prayerfulness. Betrayal, though, is never fun. There's Nympha. Her name means bride. She is the hostess with the mostest. She used her gift of hospitality to host a church in her home. And finally, there's our Crippus. Paul encourages him and admonishes him to complete the ministry given to him as a pastor at Colossae in Epaphras' absence. He's probably faltering because he is young. And Paul surrounds him with a support system to help him succeed and to encourage him because being a pastor can be extremely discouraging at times, and it's tempting to give up. Well, as we reflect on Paul's close a close to this letter, we have some questions for reflection. What kind of people did Paul value as friends? What kind of people did he entrust himself to? And what goes into making a good team? Well, I'll tell you what goes into making a good team. Everyone needs friends. Paul had a team of friends to change the world, and you need a team like that too. Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. In the meantime, here's a song that's a tribute to an important group of ladies around the world, a song for Mama.
welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, who are your real friends? Who are your real friends? Well, God surrounds us with people who value us enough to give. And if you're listening more to the propaganda of the world than you are to the word of God, you won't see the gifts God has given you. God's message to you is lift your eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Lord will be coming again on the clouds, and he will be coming at a time when the world is in chaos. The Lord love, the Lord gives us the hope of things to come. In Luke chapter 21, verses 27 and 28, they say this, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great joy. Luke 21, 28. And when you see these things are beginning to take place, be elated and lift up your heads because your deliverance is imminent. Believers in Christ are members of the Lord's kingdom, and he will be coming for us at the proper time. And until then, don't stop giving. Christians already have the victory in life, and we make a difference. Give like you know you've won. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring, always valued, and deeply appreciated offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. I'm blessed because Barah Ministries is a light in a dark world. Barah is a beacon. Barah is a lighthouse. And we're a lighthouse because of you, because of your spiritual gifts that reflect God's grace. And I was looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, your Father who is in heaven. This isn't to win their approval with our good works. This is to win their hearts, to shine and show them what a Christian life really is, not a Baptist life or a Catholic life, a Christian life, and how we really live. And our light shines. Each of you has a light that shines. And we need that light. We need that spiritual gift. And that's why I come up here each week is to inspire you to, to be part of this ministry, to be part of the light that is this ministry. This is a, there's so much darkness in this, in this world, and we're here to counteract it. That's why I'm proud to be part of this ministry. And you think about it, church, this church, Barah Ministries, is a lot like a mother because it teaches you. Mothers teach. It teaches you how to live your life, but it also does something important and follows up with that, with discipline. Follows up to see if you're actually living that life. And if you don't come here and we can actually engage with one another, we can't, build, we can't teach each other that way. And then there's mothers are also, what they do is they praise you. They build you up. And in this world, it's trying to tear us down. We need to be built up. We need that reinforcement. And that's what Barah Ministries does. We build you up with your light that shines through Christ. And then another critical part is forgiveness. Mothers forgive. They know that you're going to fall down, but they're there to help you get back up. They're there to tell you that, hey, you're going to mess up. But that's, that's what winners do. Winners mess up. That's the only way you can get better is by failing a couple times. And so Barah Ministries helps it helps teach you, it helps praise you, and it helps forgive you. And it helps a lot like mothers do. And there's, you know, we're asking for your light at this church. We want your spiritual gift. But when I come up here, I also want another thing. I want your treasure. 
because that helps keep the light on, which help, helps keep us shine bright. It helps keep pay the bills. But also, most importantly, we really want your light to shine in this church. We want you to, to glorify God and re remind the world that Jesus Christ is God. And so thank you for always giving at the offering and hit it, Zach. Deacon Denny, you are definitely one of the lights in Baram Ministries, and you are definitely one of the lights in my life. I was just reflecting on the first time you walked into my house, and I was so intimidated because I knew that you were studying with Pastor Theme, and I was thinking, God, I hope I'm accurate, and, you know, together we've come a long way, and I, I have come to defend, depend on you in every single way. And you come through over and over and over and over again. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate you for that. All right, let's do the Lord's Supper celebration. And the title of this month's Lord's Supper celebration is The Lord Wants Us to Stop Betraying Ourselves. The Lord Wants Us to Stop Betraying Ourselves. So we're going to learn a little bit about betrayal, but we're going to apply it to ourselves. So welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. As we remember the Lord, let's re relax and enjoy memories of the things the Lord has done for us, especially his work on the cross on our behalf. The Lord's Supper allows you to bring to mind the Lord and the Lord alone. And concerning the Lord's Supper, the Lord commands in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, keep on doing this Lord's Supper celebration in remembrance of me. It's the continuous action. Keep on doing this Lord's Supper celebration in remembrance of me. Keep on bringing me to mind. And there is nothing bad that ever happens when we bring the Lord Jesus Christ to mind. 
The Lord wants you to think about the source of everything that is special about you and everything that is special in your life, and that's Him. The Lord's Supper is a chance for you to experience with intensity and focus the real meaning of your relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the most important relationship in your life. And that's true if you are a believer in Christ, and it's even more true if you are an unbeliever. I had an interesting interaction this week with a guy who was rejecting Stephen uh, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors because he posted that I'm more than just a basketball player. I'm a son, a child of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this guy was bagging on him. And uh, so we got into a a tete-a-tete on LinkedIn. And finally he said, prove to me that uh, Jesus Christ is God. And I said, I've already proven it. And you obviously haven't. So since you're so brilliant, why don't you go do the research on your own and figure it out for yourself? You obviously haven't. Never, ever again will I be sucked into pandering to some person and trying to teach them the whole realm of doctrine when they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. Let them prove it to themselves because Jesus Christ is as important, is very important to us believers, but he is even more important to unbelievers because he's got his hand outstretched offering unbelievers the free gift of salvation through accepting a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper illuminates the power of a believer in Christ who is in union with Christ, and that is the most valuable gift that we will ever receive. It's the Lord letting you know that he is on your side. The Lord's Supper is for those who are the born-again ones, those who who were placed into union with Christ by God the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation in what is called the baptism of the Spirit, which is the only baptism that matters. God the Holy Spirit turned us into eternal companions of Christ. And the good news about being a companion of Christ is that the Lord stands between his believers and the enemy. He is our provision. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is uh, always there, even when the enemy is ourselves. Well, the subject matter of today's Lord's Supper is betrayal. The worst betrayal of all occurs when we betray ourselves. If you're being less than you're capable of being, you are betraying yourself, and that is pathetic. In your lifetime, you have heard about the prince of betrayal, Judas Iscariot. He betrayed the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, And all you can say when you think about this is, wow. Betray a friend? Okay. Betray Jesus Christ? Dumb on so many levels. And sure, he betrayed the Lord, but he betrayed himself as well, and that's even worse. By making one wrong choice, he betrayed himself and sentenced himself to an eternity in the lake of fire. And I always laugh when I hear people talking about Judas. Oh, well, you never know. You never know. I mean, what makes you think he was an unbeliever? Okay, well, the dead giveaway was Satan and dwelled him, 
Satan would never indwell a believer in, in Christ. It's not even possible because the Trinity is indwelling us, and Satan isn't going to go anywhere where the Trinity is. All right, so that was the first clue. But even after that, uh, the fact that he constantly rejected a relationship with Christ, even though Christ was talking to him over and over and over again and offering him salvation over and over and over again. Think about it. The Lord Jesus Christ knew everything that Judas would do before he even created Judas. And he put Judas in charge of the money box. He made him the treasurer of the apostles, knowing that he was going to rob the treasury blind. How about that for confidence? Nobody ever talks about that. And, and so, no, Judas is not in heaven. No, Judas did not get saved. No. Judas does not get sentimental treatment. No. Because there's only one way to end up in the lake of fire, and that's if you want to. And you want to when you reject a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Judas sided with the world as Satan's world system, Satan's curriculum, as opposed to siding with Jesus. Judas rejected the free gift of salvation, in favor of money. Well, what is betrayal? Betrayal occurs when someone pretends to be on your side when they're not. It's the ultimate violation of trust. It's the, it is intentional treachery. It is absolute unfaithfulness. How many times do you stop and ask yourself who you have betrayed who you are being treacherous toward, who you are being unfaithful with. And people measure your treachery, your betrayal, and your unfaithfulness by actions. Nobody believes your words. They believe your actions. And when your actions consistently state injury, people understand who you are and what you stand for and what their relationship is with you. In Jesus' life, he endured the betrayal of the Jewish race led by the religious leaders of his day who claimed to be Old Testament scripture experts. Only they ignored the 109 things that pointed to who Jesus Christ is and what what they would see when they had met the Jewish Messiah. Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 and 4 say this, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. That was their whole motivation. They wanted to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because he was telling the truth. He endured the betrayal of one of his apostles, Judas Iscariot. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 to 16 say this, Then one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, Matthew 26, 15, What are you willing to give me to betray Jesus to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. Matthew 26, 16, And from then on, Judas Iscariot began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. They smile in your face, but all the time they want to take your place, the backstabbers. Judas was a backstabbing scumbag 
who was smiling in Jesus' face while looking for a chance to put a knife in his back. The Lord Jesus Christ predicted his betrayal. John chapter 13, verses 21 to 27. Jesus became troubled in spirit and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John 13, 22. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which of them he was talking about. John chapter 13, verse 23. Reclining on Jesus' bosom was one of his disciples, the one who described himself as the one whom Jesus loved, and that was the Apostle John. I always chuckle about John's description of himself. John chapter 13, verse 24. So Simon Peter gestured to John, and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. John 13, 25. John, leaning back on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? John chapter 13, verse 26. Jesus answered, It's the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when Jesus had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. John chapter 13, verse 27. And after the morsel was given, Satan then entered into Judas Iscariot, indwelling him. Therefore Jesus said to Judas, What you do, do quickly. It was a command, not a request. It's the imperative mood in the Greek, which is the mood of command. Well, here's how betrayers betray. Mark chapter 14, verses 42 to 46. Jesus said to his sleeping apostles, Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Mark fourteen forty three. Immediately while Jesus was still speaking, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the religious elders. They brought hundreds of people to subdue Jesus Christ. Why would that be necessary? Mark chapter 14, verse 44. Now Judas, who was betraying Jesus, had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Mark 14, 45. And after coming, Judas immediately went to Jesus saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Mark 14, 46. The mob laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Well, what did, Judah, what did Jesus say while experiencing this? Luke chapter 22, verse 48. Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The incident is easily seen as Judas betraying Jesus. It is seldom described, in fact, I've never heard it described, as Judas betraying himself. Matthew chapter 27 Verses 1 to 5. I think I missed a verse, but we'll skip it. Matthew 27, 1 to 5. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Matthew 27, 3. And then when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests 
and the elders. So what is remorse? That he felt remorse because he knew that he had done something wrong. And now he's going to try to redeem himself. Now somehow he's going to try to right himself. Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, saying, when he got to the chief priest, he, Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But the chief priests and the scribes said to him, what is that to us? See to it yourself. In other words, hey, dog, that's your problem. Matthew 27, 5, and Judas threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. Judas went immediately to the lake of fire for rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he had a choice. He could have gone to the Lord to ask for forgiveness. Let's look at that one second after he threw that money at the chief priest. He had a choice at that moment. If he had gone to Jesus Christ, if he had waited around until Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead three days later, which he knew was going to happen because he had been told that over and over and over again. If he awaited, and when Jesus was showing himself to the other apostles, he, said, he, he just said, Lord, I betrayed you. Forgive me. What would the Lord have done? He would have forgiven him. He forgave Peter. All of the apostles ran and betrayed him when he got captured. They didn't want to be anywhere near Jerusalem where they could get hurt. He forgave them all. He would have forgiven Judas if Judas had come and said to him, you know what, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are, and I'm placing my confidence in you for my salvation. You've been talking to me over and over and over, and I finally get it. And I made a terrible mistake. Forgive me. I know you already have because you died for my sins on the cross. Use me. The Lord is world famous, universe famous, for using weak men and betrayers. And he would have forgiven Judas easily. But Judas took matters into his own hands and killed himself. He had a choice. He could have asked the Lord for forgiveness, and without question, the Lord would have forgiven him. But he chose to take the coward's way out, and he will pay for it for all eternity. Remember Peter's betrayal of the Lord? Peter handled the situation exactly the opposite. How are we different than Judas? How often do we betray ourselves by thinking and doing things that are not in our best interest? The answer, too often. We know we ought to do something. And the way we know we ought to do it is because we should ourselves. I know I should. Should comes from the conscience. The conscience is that part of you that knows right from wrong. And when you should yourself, I know I should, what you're really saying is there is a right thing to do. I absolutely know what that right thing is, and I am not choosing to do it. Well, when you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you betray yourself. When you're a believer in Christ, and you don't study the Word of God every day, you betray yourself. When you think you can lose your salvation as a believer in Christ, you betray yourself. When you don't grow in your spiritual life, you betray yourself. When you betray other people who are constantly giving 
to you and who are important in your life. You betray yourself. When you are less than your best at anything, you betray yourself. When you refuse to learn, you betray yourself. When you are stuck in an ineffective lifestyle, you betray yourself. When you think, I want to do this on my own, you betray yourself. Jesus Christ was betrayed by the Jewish race, by Israel, by Judas, and by every person who has ever committed a personal sin. Yet no matter what is done to him, Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 reveals his attitude toward all of us. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Why? Because he's faithful. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord never betrays his own. Isn't it, isn't it about time that you choose to stop betraying yourself? Well, let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28, tell us the reason the Lord wants us to celebrate this Lord's Supper meal together. While the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. And when Jesus had taken a cup, and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, the blood of a new testament. My blood poured out for whosoever for the forgiveness of sins. We celebrate to remember. Jesus died as our sin substitute. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ will come again to gather his believers to himself. Jesus forgives us once and for all time through his work on the cross. We never have to should ourselves. We never have to talk about sin. We never have to uh, roll it around in our head over and over and over again. Why do I make mistakes? I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? We just need to stop doing it. And we celebrate this Lord's Supper, and we are grateful for everything that the Lord has done on our behalf. We'll enjoy the elements as we listen to Telly Leung remind us that we have a God who loves giving in the song, All Good Gifts. seed on the land but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand he sends the snow in winter the warmth to swell the grain 
The breezes and the sunshine, the soft, refreshing rain. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. And thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord for all his artists singing all good gifts. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the 10 most important minutes of your life. And what we want you to know is that God wants you. And what God wants from you is he wants you to make the most important decision of your life. When food manufacturers noticed your fast-paced mobile lifestyle, they came up with instant Food, instant coffee, instant oatmeal, instant potatoes, instant TV dinners, and instant gravy were among their initial culinary creations, and most of them were absolutely awful. This message is for those of you who want an instant relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those of you who may be wondering exactly what's going to happen the instant you close your eyes in this life. There is an instant answer to your curiosity, and the Lord guarantees that in an instant you can become a child of God. You may not know how 
unfortunate your circumstances are. You were born a sinner, physically alive and spiritually dead. You were born an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. In other words, you come here sentenced to the lake of fire. Because Adam was appointed by God as the head of the human race, his first sin was credited to the account of all human creatures, resulting in spiritual death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered the world through his sin, so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous at physical birth, not even one. But despite this unfortunate circumstance, there is good news from God that instantly frees you from sin, from spiritual death, and from the kingdom of death and darkness into which you were born. You're invited to be born again, the spiritual birth. You can change teams. God beckons you to come into a spiritual life in his kingdom of light. God beckons you to come to a spiritual life where you, where sin is no longer sovereign over you. The Lord Jesus Christ offers you a so great salva- salvation And it is his will that you accept the free gift he made possible for you at the cross. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for anyone to perish in the lake of fire, but wishing for all to come to repentance which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you end up in the lake of fire the instant after your physical death, it will not be because the Lord wants you there. It will be your choice. So how can you get to heaven in an instant when you close your eyes in this life? By obeying God's plan for your salvation. Right where you sit right now, you can be saved in an instant. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the instant of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. To believe means to take God's word for it regarding what it takes to be saved. And God says the one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Now who is this God who saves you? 
the Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, For I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead proved that he is deity and it qualified him to save you. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't good deed your way into heaven. You can't be a good person and get yourself into heaven. You can only get to heaven by accepting an instant gift of salvation from a God who loves you so unconditionally that he sent his son to die for you on a cross to pay your way into heaven. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind and that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. God has an enemy, Satan, who deceives the whole world, including you, with a strategy to exploit human beings called religion. The religions of the world deceive you into thinking you can work your way to heaven, that you can work to please God. No religious ritual has ever been good enough to do anything except waste your time. Religious rituals absolutely won't get you to heaven. They just make you look stupid. It's wise to let God save you, because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can't lose your salvation. If anyone says you can, they are lying to you. There is no reason to be uncertain about what happens to you at the moment of your physical death. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment, in an instant. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear that there is a consequence. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42. Just as tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age, Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. That's a reference to unbelievers. And those who practice lawlessness, that's a reference to unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Believers in Christ have a different fate. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then the righteous, believers in Christ, who have the imputed righteousness from God at the moment of salvation, will shine forth as the sun shines in the kingdom of their God and Father. What's your choice? 
You can choose for Christ or you can choose against Christ. A relationship with the Lord does not require blind faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. For the wise, faith is always invested after an examination. You have faith as a gift from God, and you can place your confidence in the object of your faith. And to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and to let him save you is a delicious move. You can have a relationship with Christ, or you can make an instant choice for Christ. You can reject a relationship with Christ, or you can make an instant choice for Christ. And the result, your salvation, stands finished forever. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 encourages us. He who has ears, let him really hear these things. Some things that happen in an instant are quite tasty. Take a moment right now to wrap your taste buds around the only instant thing that lasts forever, a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's close with music. Whether you know it or not, whether you want it or not, the Lord Jesus Christ has a deep, intimate, and personal relationship desire, and he wants that kind of a relationship with you. He created you. And as Francesca Battistelli tells us in song, he knows you personally. She says, he knows my name. Yeah. 
sure does. He knows my name. He knows your name. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for teaching us a lesson about friends and a lesson about what can happen when you have friends, which is betrayal. Fill our lives with people who are on our side and help us use discernment to recognize with spiritual eyes the people who aren't on our side. Keep us far from them. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, today's discussion after the lesson and our prayer circle is canceled for today. We'll pick it up again next week. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Thank you.